You're listening to Academic Gig, Season 2, Episode 2. Academic Gig is a podcast for current and aspiring academic creatives, freelancers, and entrepreneurs. Along with every episode, we post show notes with links to resources mentioned in the episode and a full transcript. You can find these materials, sign up for our email list, and share your ideas for episode topics at academicgig.com. Now, on to the episode. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Katie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, doing pretty well. Okay, today we're talking about content generation and creativity and repurposing content, which we dug into a little bit in season one, um, but I think it deserves a lot more time and energy from us in terms of having an actual discussion about how are we doing this and how are we making it work? And especially because you and I approach this from such different angles. Agreed. I am interested to see how many times throughout the podcast we're like, wow, I do that totally differently. <laughs> I'll keep a tally. Right. It's Well, for <laughs> depending on when people are listening to this, consider making it a drinking game because I think it'll, yeah. it'll happen quite a, quite a few times on, on this episode. Um, okay. So let's start with just a quick overview of the content that we're each generating. So what is the maybe like the regular or consistent content that you're generating? Uh, so the things that I am consistently kind of producing right now are um, videos on my YouTube channel. I'm over at youtube.com slash developmental enthusiast channel. Uh, so on that channel, I talk a lot about developmental psychology, which is my background, uh, but also about career development types of things. Um, so transitioning from graduate school uh, into the big wide world um, and, you know, doing things like job interviews and informational interviews and what's a resume and those kinds of things as well. Um, so I am currently on a production schedule there where I produce a new video every about every two weeks, um, pretty consistently over the last six to eight months or so. So um, that's that's the big one. Um, I blog, though not frequently and not on any time, uh, kind of time scale. That tends to be one of the things that falls off uh, off my list more than stays on it these days, unfortunately. Um, I also have an e-newsletter that I've put out one or two of at this point, um, but I'm ramping that up for uh, for the new year as well. Um, for those of you listening, we're recording this in early January of 2018. So, um, so those are my three primary kind of external content generation pieces. Um, there are obviously, you know, content pieces I'm creating for clients and those sorts of things. But in terms of public facing content, those are my main ones. Mm. How about you, Katie? How many I know you've got several different things that you put out on a regular basis? Well, I do. But before we shift over to me, I have a question. Are you yeah. counting social media? Um, well, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure that I had considered that content generation in the same way, um, but I would I would definitely consider it uh, a content intensive uh, process. So um, I I am less frequently um, on Twitter uh, than I have been. Uh, it's been a little bit more. Um, sporadic lately, uh, but I do have, I do use um, Edgar to schedule social media posts. And so those are going out fairly regularly, but um, I'm, I don't, I'm not on a strict schedule of going back in and creating new content and that sort of thing. But that again, it's one of those things for 2018 that I'm, uh, I'm wanting to systematize a little bit more. Okay. Cause I think about like when I, I'm, I'm kind of relatively consistently adding new stuff to Edgar. So I consider that to be content generation, um, mm -hmm. whether I'm sharing other people's content or creating because I usually have to create social media art and stuff like that. So I usually include that when I think about it. Ah, interesting. Hmm. 
Um, okay, so I have a podcast, um, which our listeners may be familiar with. So I've got four shows that I produce, including this one. And they are, you've got this, um, The Anatomy of a Book and Research in Action, which is a show that I do for my day job at Oregon State. And You've Got This produces two episodes a week. Um, one is kind of what I call a regular episode on Wednesdays. And then on Saturdays, I post a Q&A episode, which is typically answering a question or a challenge from a listener, um, or just a question I get frequently. Sometimes I just put it into a Q&A episode. The Anatomy of a Book releases on Thursdays, um, and that is just a weekly show. Uh, Research in Action releases on Mondays. That's an interview-based show that comes out every week. And then I also produce... Um, uh, a blog post that is going out on Fridays as part of my newsletters. Um, so it's kind of an essay that I write, and then I post it to my blog on Saturday morning, and that is a weekly content that I create. And then the other newsletter I put out, um, which is kind of a separate list, is a monthly digest of all the things that I'm creating. So if people are just like, wow, that's a lot of stuff, and I don't want to be constantly following you, you know, in all these different places. The monthly digest is like the podcast episodes, the essays, any new news about like my books that are coming out, my courses I've created, my webinar series. Um, oh, and then there's the webinar series. I forgot about that. So once a month, I'm putting out a webinar. <laughs> I can't even keep track of it all. Um, I, well, and I don't always think about the webinar series as content generation, but it definitely is because I'm creating a slide deck and a set of interactive workbooks and I'm putting it into kind of a course platform. So once a month as part of the How to Academia webinar series, I'm creating um, a presentation for that. Uh, and that's something that will be ongoing nine months out of the year, um, at least for the next couple of years. So um, I think those are the big ones. And then of course, social media, which is, um, I use Edgar as well. Cool, yeah, there's lots of lots of different pieces to each level of content generation. And um, I think I, I think for me, it's it's interesting to hear um, not only how many different kinds of content you're creating every week or every day even, um, but also to hear a little bit about your process for doing that. So can you talk a little bit about how, how you get all that content set up and ready to go and ready to ship on time every week? So I feel like this is something that's changed over time because when I first started podcasting, I did a lot of pre-recording. Like I would have like a month of episodes done in advance so that I always knew that I had content and things to talk about. And um, especially with Anatomy of a Book, I started recording it in August and didn't release it until April. So I had like a lot of pre-recorded content. Um, but now that I've been doing it for a while um, and I'm coming up on the two-year anniversary of Research in Action, and that was my first podcast, um, I just feel like I, I can do it a little bit more on the fly. I mean, we still pre-record a lot of research in action because it involves other people. And we also release like a month of preview clips um, at the beginning of every month. So I need to know kind of like what the schedule is for the upcoming month for that for that particular show. But for You've Got This and for The Anatomy of a Book, um, an academic gig I kind of set aside because we're releasing it this season. So it's a totally different ballgame. Um, but for those other two, sometimes I just record it like the week of, um, and I used to never do that. I used to feel like I had to be kind of way in advance. Part of that was because I used to use a transcription system that took a lot more time. And now I use one that takes like literally two to three hours. So if I'm like really slammed in a particular week, I mean, I might even record the episode like the night before or on a Saturday morning, the morning of. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I feel a lot more comfortable doing that. 
Um, I also am in a situation with both of those shows where the episodes are usually around 10 minutes. Um, I do them in one take. Uh, so I just don't feel like I, there, there's not a lot of prep involved um, mm. in terms of like coming up with the content. And, and I do usually look over the course of a month, like I'll just do some brainstorming about you know, like, what do I want to talk about? And sometimes it's very natural, like with the anatomy of a book, which is more about writing and publishing. Like this past winter, it was all about, you know, doing a 2017 retrospective, doing 2018 goal setting, talking about what I wanted to get done over the winter break, debriefing what I did over the winter break. I mean, like that was like four easy episodes to just kind of close out the year. Um, so it takes some thought about, you know, like what I want to do. But I brainstorming is one of my superpowers. Um, I think very quickly and I come up with ideas very quickly and I've always been that way. So I feel like kind of coming up with those content ideas is not really a problem for me. But the other piece I would say for you've got this is I get a lot of now a lot of engagement from listeners. So I get questions, people tell me their stories. um, And that gives me a lot of good ideas for what I might want to talk about on the show as well. Uh, to give a, a sense of that, this past week I released an episode. Somebody wrote into me and said her biggest challenge was kind of getting on with it and getting over the fear of being wrong um, mm. when you're creating a new project. And so I came up with nine questions I asked myself to kind of get over my own fear and and um, procrastination. And I released those on the show. So, I mean, it's it's very much driven by what listeners are asking me to talk about. And that is a big help in terms of creating that. Um, and then in terms of my weekly essay, it's usually, sometimes it's literally done the night before. Um, I used to pre-do those. And when I'm traveling, sometimes I can get a little bit ahead because I write on the plane. Um, but those are totally about like, what am I feeling right now in the moment? Um, so this past week I talked about in early 2018, I started running again. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of riding the wave of momentum of the new year. And so it's called Riding the Wave. The essay was called Riding the Wave. So, I mean, that's really just about sharing a window into my own experience and hopefully telling people a story or giving them an example of something that's useful for them. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's it for me right now, it, it, there's like no anxiety around it at all. Like, it's just something it's a habit. It's it's something that I enjoy doing. Um, and I feel very relaxed about it. I mean, I, I, I guess if I had people who were like, critiquing the show or like if I was getting negative reviews about it or something like maybe I would feel more anxiety around it but I just don't I mean I just Mm -hmm. people have have reacted to my content so positively that it's just I enjoy it it's a it's a great way for me to interact with that audience that's really cool (laughs) I kind of envy that uh the, the lack of of kind of stressing about it a little bit I I think heh here we go. Ten, you know, only a few minutes in, and I'm already saying I think you and I are different when it comes to this. <laughs> right, right. Well, and I mean, I, I should clarify that in the beginning there was probably a little bit more anxiety as I was figuring it out. But like, right, I mean, right. now I've produced like yeah. I don't know 75 of these weekly newsletters, hundreds of podcast episodes. I mean, it's definitely one of those situations where like the more you do it, the better it gets. But mm-hmm. yeah, tell me all about your anxiety, Sarah. <laughs> The doctor is in. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> no, I think I think what you just said there at the end uh, really speaks to me because for video, it it took a while for me to find my voice, um, but I find that once I lean in and trust that voice, that yeah, the anxiety goes away. Um, but I uh, for writing for me, that journey has been 
kind of fraught with a lot of baggage. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I've never really felt like a confident writer. I know I'm a good writer, especially in certain kinds of uh, kinds of writing, but it has never been something that um, that I can use, that I can do without sort of self critique or um, with only sort of joy and passion. Right? It it is fraught for me in a way that video isn't as much, mm. um, which has been really interesting to kind of explore and reflect on over the last uh, over the last several months. Um, for for listeners from season one, you'll remember, perhaps uh, there was an episode where I talked a little bit about my my um, anxiety around writing and, and about um, really not feeling like a writer because the because of the old phrase that writers write. And so if I'm not writing, does that make me not a writer? Um, and so that's something I've really had to, to wrestle with. And I would say that for me, I've, I've come around a little bit to the idea that like, just because you don't write all the time doesn't mean you're not a writer and not a good writer. It's just that that's not the mode of self-expression that you want to use in the world. And that's okay. <laughs> there are other modes of expression you can use, thankfully, in the world that we live in now. Um, and, and your writing can support that, you know, for my video making, I have to script things out and I have to, to, to do some creative writing, uh, in order to make that happen. But it doesn't have to be the only part of, of that communication because I'm relying on video and on editing and, and those kinds of things. I can bring a, a certain level of creativity to it and kind of put less pressure on the writing, I think. Mm. Um, and so that that has kind of allowed me to, to free up a little bit and find my voice in a different way. I would say the same is true of speaking. Um, so I've done enough speaking gigs now, especially with respect to this content, um, really around stress and trauma in early childhood. And uh, that, to the point where I've, I've really found my, um, where, where my position is in that and where, where I can speak best to that. Um, the jokes that work, the, the phrasing that works, the, those kinds of things, um, I've, I've figured out throughout the process of, of, um, of doing that work. And so I suspect at some point, um, writing will, will be a similar process to me, for me, um, where I can find that voice that is authentic and feels good and is, um, you know, is not fraught with years of baggage of being told I'm a bad writer, um, <laughs> and maybe have some freedom there again. Uh, and, and I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that 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 will be the case. But I have always kind of had a complicated relationship with writing. And so I think, um, I think for me that that brings a certain element of um, fear and anxiety to the table whenever writing is the primary, uh, the primary activity. So uh, yeah, I don't know. That's that's where I am today with writing. <laughs> I could all change next week. Who knows? Well, um, you've raised a really important point, which is like when you're thinking about content generation, you should do it in a medium that feels good to you, you know, right, or, or in a right. medium that's interesting to you. And for me, like writing is my comfort zone for mm -hmm. sure. I mean, I've been writing for years. I write for my full time job. I'm a book author like who has a very strong and consistent pipeline. Like I am a mature, I would call myself a mature academic writer um, in mm -hmm. the sense I've done lots of different kinds of academic writing. And when you, I think when you kind of have a more habitual kind of content creation, whatever it might be, podcasting, writing, video creation, like you do get a certain comfort level from that because mm -hmm. you're, it's mm -hmm. familiar and you know how it works and you know, like you said, you know what works, what jokes are going to work. And speaking, I think is another, you know, that's maybe a different topic, but um a good one to kind of um, lump into this. So, I mean, that's the piece that I think, you know, 
it's not to say don't challenge yourself, you know, if you mm-hmm. if you want to be writing or whatever. But I also think it's totally fine to pick the content creation areas that you like and mm-hmm. and that work for you. And the other piece too that I would say about content generation is that it doesn't always have to be original. Sometimes right. it can be like curating other people's content and like writing a newsletter that says, "Here are five blog posts I read this week that are really useful," and you mm-hmm. know, like they help with um, productivity or whatever it might be. Like you can start with generating content that is curating other people's work. Um, so it's not even about like creating original ideas necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what do you think about that, Sarah? Yeah, I totally agree. I think that that especially when you're kind of dipping your toes into the water of, uh, you know, trying to make a, a you know, trying to venture into a, a new field or whether it's just trying to get familiar with social media in general, or, you know, if you're try- if you're thinking a lot about things like productivity and creativity or, or whatever, it, it's great to share other people's work because we don't, none of us do this in isolation. <laughs> you know, we all rely on the ideas from our colleagues and from people who have gone and blazed the path before us. Uh, and so I think it's really valuable to share those ideas with others because you never know what that's going to spark for somebody else. And so um, I definitely love sharing other people's content, especially when it speaks to me and where I am and and the things that I'm struggling with. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So I'm curious, Sarah, to hear about how do you come up with ideas for your videos? Uh, that is a healthy mix of a, a little bit of strategy, a little bit of uh, reality, and a little bit of spunk and creativity. <laughs> um, so what I mean by that is that I have a general frame around the kinds of content that I create on my channel. Uh, as I said earlier, I tend to focus on developmental psychology, um, but I also, with uh, you know, sort of in the scope of being a developmental enthusiast, um, I'm very enthusiastic about continued growth and development into adulthood, especially what that's looked like for me professionally. And so, um, I do like to share uh, things I've learned along the way, you know, with respect to that uh, area as well. So it's it's a mix of educational content, um, specifically around the topics covered in developmental psychology, as well as a little bit of reflection and, um, you know, sharing my own knowledge from things that I've learned along the way. Um, so that's the kind of general frame I'm working with when I approach thinking about, okay, what what would be a good video within that scope? Uh, I have some kind of specific ideas about the types of uh, content I want to make you know, with respect to child psychology, a lot of that comes from um, either talking with friends who are professors or who are working in academic spaces who are like, man, I really wish I had a video for X. Um, I really wish I had a video that talked about this topic or whatever. So sometimes that will govern a little bit the the types of topics I want to delve into. Um, so I have kind of a, a list of things that, okay, I might want to do this topic at some point. I might want to cover this, you know, this subfield or or something. But a lot of the, in terms of the sort of figuring out what's coming next, a lot of that is based on my own interest in something uh, and my own sort of feeling of of being pulled toward an idea. Um, And so, you know, I don't have a strict schedule for like the next six months of this is exactly what this is going to look like. Um, It's much more of a, hmm, okay, got to make a video, you know, that's going to release in four weeks or whatever, which thing do I want to work on um, for that to, to move that video for, to move a video forward. Um, so I've found that getting too prescriptive uh, actually hinders my creativity with respect to that. And so I'm, I tend to be much more fluid in the go where the energy is right now um, when I'm thinking about creating uh, new videos. 
which can sometimes drive my producer crazy. Sorry, Tom. Um, but I think is is just kind of how I work. And so being able to be flexible about going where the energy is while also remaining in this general framework that I've created for myself is, is kind of how I find that balance. And I definitely want to refer people back to our episode from season one where we talked about going where the energy is. Um, but right. this, is this is an area where I actually feel like we overlap, Sarah, because I like to have lots of different options for what I can work on in any, any given time, which is why I like brainstorming and having like a mm. list of things that I could potentially do. And I do have a rough content calendar, which I also talked about um, last season. But it's definitely a situation where I will move things around for sure. Like if I don't feel mm-hmm. like talking about something, I'll be like, oh, what else is on the list that I, you know, I feel like talking about today? Um, so I, I like that. I mean, I feel like that's the best part of having, you know, a kind of robust list of what you can potentially draw from. Um, but I'm curious to what degree your audience impacts, because I heard you saying like you have a list of things you want to cover. You have a strategy around that. There's things that you want to talk about. Do you get requests from people or do you are there patterns that you hear in your audience that are impacting what you're creating? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, to some degree, yes. So uh, I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but my far and away, my most viewed video on my channel was one I made on a whim one day. Uh, and it's called, I think it's like eight survival tips for graduate school or something like that. And I basically wrote that because I had read an article that was talking about all these reasons not to go do a PhD. And a lot of them really resonated with me. Um, but there was a lot of stuff that I was like, is kind of missing here or isn't recognizing some of the realities that, that graduate students face. And so I did this video and it was kind of this weird mix of, you know, tips and strategies, but also really heartfelt acknowledgement of how hard graduate school is and my own struggles with it throughout the process. And by far, people have resonated most with that video. Mm. And so I get a lot of follow-up questions um, and things related to uh, to the graduate school process and and really just a lot of people being like, thank you for understanding and thank you for making this video. I feel less alone now, like those kinds of things, which is really validating and also, you know, has has made me stretch a little bit more into that professional development side of the channel because originally I was thinking I'll just do child psychology educational videos because that's kind of my niche area and that's what I'm interested in and whatever. And having that experience where my audience kind of, or a new audience really emerged and said, hey, this is awesome, please do more of this, has shaped how I uh, think about the channel and the the kind of content and topic areas I'm willing to, to delve into a little bit more. So I would say in a global sense, listening to the audience has, has been really powerful. Um, I don't get as many of the kind of one-off questions, I think, as as you do, Katie. Um, I I have that occasionally where people will reach out and say, "Hey, can you really can you talk about this thing?" Um, and you know, for me, sometimes it's a thing of like, "Oh yeah, cool, that's a great topic," and I'll add it to the list, and you know, <laughs> I may not get to it right away, so I don't always have the timely response. And sometimes it's just easier for me to reply in YouTube comments individually and say you know, here's what I what I think with respect to your question, rather than making a whole video on it. Um, so I, I take those comments when I get them, I take them into consideration, but they don't always show up on the channel in the same way um, as I think maybe they appear in your podcast or in your in your blog posts. Um, I will say that video production tends to be a little more time intensive <laughs> than some of these other modes of creating. Um, and so 
I have to be thoughtful about how much time, how much time do I have to sink into this idea? Do I have enough to say to fill up a video length worth of worth of stuff? Am I going to make something that is compelling enough to uh, to other people? Is this a question that that more than one person is going to have? Those kinds of things. So I, I would say yes. I I hear from my audience, and I love hearing from my audience because it <laughs> helps me know that people are watching. Um, but. I don't always answer the questions um, as quickly or or in that same medium. I might respond via email or I might reach out via uh, social media or something like that instead. Mm -hmm. Well, and I I think that one thing to point out, too, is that's part of my content strategy in the sense that I created a QA and a section of the podcast specifically to ask people for questions. And every week I'm saying, send me questions. And Mm -hmm. I get questions in all kinds of places through social media engagement, through email, you know, that kind of thing. And also... When I when people sign up for my newsletter, they get a response from me that says, please hit reply and tell me about your biggest challenge or question. Mm-hmm. And some people respond and some people don't. Um, but I think that I'm actively asking for that. And it helps because I know it will help me with content generation. And, mm-hmm. you know, even if you're actively asking, like not everybody's going to respond, but the responses you do get can be really valuable. Yeah, it's, it's really true. So I'm I'm curious, Katie, when you're thinking about creativity and approaching a new project, uh, or not not even a new project, a new topic, uh, a new, you know, post you have to write, or or brainstorming new ideas. What kind of strategies do you use to kind of jumpstart that creativity if you're ever having a day where you're kind of like, oh, I'm just not the, the ideas aren't flowing today. Um, how do you get that jump started? Um, good question. So what's kind of funny, so how I write right now, especially the blog posts, um, well, it's really only the blog posts, but it's left over from when I used to blog at Medium, which is a group blogging platform. And I used to post over there. I didn't have my own self-hosted blog um, for a number of reasons. And then I decided to, to shift to Medium or to shift away from Medium and to my own website. And um, But I was so used to writing using the Medium platform that I still write wow. my posts in Medium first. Oh, funny. Yeah. And so it's and what I like about it is it's very easy to kind of um, change. So basically, like I do a title and then I do a subtitle because I use it for the excerpt part of my blog. And then I just it's easy to do bullets and numbered lists and things like that. And I would say the posts I'm putting out are on average, maybe 500 words. Um, oftentimes there are less. I mean, I, I don't think that in email form people want to read like, you know, 2000 word posts. So I'm very careful about kind of the length that I do. But um, I'm a I'm I am and I always have been a very rapid writer. So um, if I'm kind of not sure what I want to do, the other thing I do is I'll go into Medium and I'll just like write titles of posts that I think could be kind of interesting so if I'm like stuck for ideas, I'll just like look through my list and see if there's anything. And, and I haven't written any content in there. I've just like literally written like a title so that I can think about like, do I want to do something? Um, and I'll, one example of that is I had written a title called The Power of Partnership like months ago. And I ended up using it to talk about this podcast and to talk about yeah. my partnership with you. So, you know, like there's stuff like that, that it's like, I know I want to get to it at some point, but maybe I'm not sure the angle I want to take or the story that I want to tell. Um, and so I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't really struggle with, like, I, I guess I've just, I've used my writing muscle enough that I don't really struggle with like the getting started part. And I guess part of it is like, I don't care if it's crap. Hmm. Like, I don't care if the first thing I write is not going to be good because I know I can always edit it to the point where, and I'm not going to send out something that I'm not comfortable with. So 
I don't, it's, I, I, I wish I could say something that was more useful because I, I guess that this is one of those areas where it's like, I feel like I've progressed so far that I can't break it down. Hmm. Um, that's interesting. Like it's really natural. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just think about like when I read people's newsletters or when I listen to other people's podcasts, what do I like? And usually I like things like stories and examples. Like I want really concrete, like, what does this look like? So mm-hmm. I usually start there. Like what's something that's happened in the last week or the last couple of weeks that I think is interesting um, or that was a learning moment. So like I talk about things like eating alone at restaurants when I'm at conferences and like the solitude of that. Um, I talk about, like I mentioned, you know, starting to run again. Um, I've, I shared my 2018 goals on my blog, you know, like I, so it's, it's very much about like what is going on with me. It's like a little journal and I'm just publicly mm-hmm. sharing it. Um, it's, I mean, what's interesting is that I feel like I'm a relatively private person, but if you listen to all of my content, you will have a really good understanding of what's going on in my life. You know, like if you, if you listen to my podcast and you listen and you read my newsletter and you know, all of that, like you're going to have a pretty good sense of like what's on my mind because I'm Mm -hmm. pretty much just sharing what's on my mind in, in those, those areas. Hmm. That's, that's really interesting. I, I think we're pretty similar in that in that sense like if you were to you know follow me in all the places you'd have a, a, a fairly good idea of things i'm grappling with or or you know things that are happening in my life um or even how i'm feeling on a certain day <laughs> right um so right and i think that's important to to be honest and open about because so often we get these messages of like you have to be living a certain way and and you have to be happy all the time that you're <laughs> you know, self-employed or that you have your own business or that you're living the dream. Uh, Yeah, it's great, but it's also kind of terrible sometimes. And so I think being honest about that actually helps, um, you know, helps the field in general grow. Okay, so I want to hear a little bit more from you and maybe just talk about repurposing content because Mm. this is actually, I think, why both of us are on Edgar is so that we can be like sending out tweets and other social media messages about stuff that we wrote like a year ago. Um, And that people might engage with it now and find it useful and interesting. And I've got posts that get serious play. um, And Mm -hmm. I wrote them, you know, two years ago. Um, So when they show up on Edgar, I get lots of likes and retweets and and people engaging with them. What what's your strategy around repurposing if you have one? Like, how are you thinking about that? Yeah, I I think um, for me, it, it. the resharing of, of old content, I don't necessarily think of that as repurposing as much as it is thinking about adding value to it. Um, hmm. So yeah, I, I invested, you know, an hour, two hours, however many hours in creating this thing, whether it's a blog post or whether it's a video. I want to make sure that it doesn't get lost completely in the, you know, overwhelming <laughs> yelling that's happening, you know, just like all of the social media stuff that happens, especially with a, with a platform like tr- Twitter, where you post it once and, you know, five seconds later, it's at the bottom of somebody's feed. Right. It's in a I, black hole I, of the internet. Exactly. Exactly. And so I want to make sure that I'm giving my content the attention and care that it deserves. Like I invested a ton of my time and energy into this. And so for me, continued sharing it um, through through scheduled posts or, you know, if I read something that uh, that somebody else wrote and I think, oh, hey, this might be a really great time to share this piece of content that I wrote a long time ago on a similar topic, I can do that. It, it kind of gives additional life to the content I created a long time ago. Um, but in terms of repurposing, 
I'm usually thinking about um, how do I take content that I created in one area and, or, or one mode and translate it to a different area or to a different mode. Hmm. So maybe that I wrote a blog post about something and then I think, hmm, I bet there would be a really great complimentary video that, you know, picks up on several of the points I made in the blog post, but then launches off and and grows from there. You know, so that's sort of a small example of, of something like that that I might do. But one of the things I'm thinking about for 2018 is how do I repurpose presentations I've given before, uh, along with the videos that I've created before, and how do I package that into an online offering of some variety, of some of some type that I can then sell as a product. Um, and so for me, it's thinking about those different modes and those different areas, and what can I take that I've already created, and either slot it in or um, use it and then grow something else from it. Um, So that's kind of how I think about repurposing content that I've created before. Um, But I'm curious, Katie, to hear from you, what how do you think about repurposing? Is it is it a similar sort of thing? Or is this another case where we're kind of different? (laughs) Um, well, okay, so here, this is interesting. I have to talk through this a little bit um, because I'm not sure. So when I think about repurposing content, I tend to think about it as like, how is it part of a larger sales and marketing funnel? Hmm. So in that sense, so basically it's like anything that I've already created, like you said, if it goes into a different mode or whatever, but I also, I guess I do consider, you know, like the, the reposting about things as part of that because the general idea of reposting some of my own content is to get somebody into my funnel where they're like signing up for my newsletter. Mm -hmm. And so part of it is that, and I I don't know what to call that. I mean, I think that it's different than some of the other stuff you're describing. Um, But I, I, so I agree that there is a different thing of like shifting something into a different mode. Um, And a good example of that is these webinars that I've been offering that are live webinars. I offer a replay option, but I'm also in the process of re-recording that content with the slide decks I've created and creating mini courses mm. for every webinar that I've done. Um, and so that's a that's different than what I'm describing um, with the the reposting. But the general idea is like, how can you reuse something that you've already done to squeeze every little drop out of it? Maybe that's the way I'm thinking about it. Um, and so because I've already created slide decks, I've already created these interactive workbooks, you know, like I know that people don't necessarily want to buy a replay of a live webinar. Like I just know that, um, then what does it mean to repurpose it in a way that they will actually want to engage with that content? Yeah. Squeezing every last drop out of your content, I think is a really good way of thinking about repurposing. Um, I, I certainly try to do that a lot in my own work, but I'm curious, Katie, do you ever think of that um, and wonder, you know, if you're kind of saying similar things, um, even if you're saying them in slightly different ways, uh, do you ever feel like your audience might get bored or might get um, kind of turned off by the fact that you're either continuing to share the same kinds of posts or that you're talking about the same kinds of things over and over again? This is a really good question. Um, So I did think about this a little bit, especially with the repurposing of the webinar series, because I thought, you know, how can I do this in such a way, first of all, that it's clear to the people who've already gone through the series that this is the same content. It's just been kind of produced in a way that's a little bit more, it's not the live, you know, recording, it's something different. Mm-hmm. And so what I ended up deciding to do, because I think when I repurpose content, the general idea is to broaden the audience 
And it's also for so I can feel like I can let it go. You know, like I've created it, I've put it into a package that I think can be useful for people in the future. And I don't have to, like, it's not just sitting out there, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, it's like giving me a sense of closure. So what I ended up doing um, or decided to do, I haven't done it yet for the webinars, is I want to um, have a situation where basically anybody who's gone through the webinars and saw the live show and had the replay, they'll just get free access to the new little mini course that I'm creating. So there's no confusion. There's no like, oh, she created something else and I want it. It's like, no, you already purchased this. You've already mm-hmm. purchased this content. It's just been repurposed in a slightly different way. And hopefully that will kind of keep that content alive for them in a way that they might tell a colleague or, you know, share it out in a particular way. And it's also kind of, I mean, I have this kind of value of generosity with people who have purchased something from me, you know, like I mm-hmm. want to give them the best possible. So that said, I mean, to also answer your question, I feel like I'm generating so much stuff that I I am, it's a lot of it is new. And because it's based in my personal experience, especially things like the blog posts, I don't feel like it's repetitive. Um, at the same time, you know, I think about the stuff that I'm interested in reading. I like to hear about the same topic from a lot of different angles. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to say. I mean, is that, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's I think that's a great way to think about it. Usually when I'm interested in a topic or a particular field or, you know, strategies for creativity or whatever it is, um, I'm looking for it from a lot of a lot of different people, but usually from voices that I tend to trust, even if it's in other areas. So, um, you know, I can I think I'll use the example of um, our mutual colleague, Jen Polk, um, who has the the from PhD to life uh, fame. Um, and she shares a lot of great content, um, not only her own, but but other people's. And so if I'm ever looking for something related to the process of that transition from PhD to real life, I go to her first and I recommend other people go to her first because I know that she's a voice I can trust to have curated other people's content as well as to have created some great stuff herself. And so when I'm struggling with a topic or interested in a particular topic, I definitely go to the voices that I trust first. And so I think if you can become a voice that somebody trusts, that's that's a great place to be. Well, I think you're also just raising this point about how do you strike a balance between becoming an expert in a topic and having mm-hmm. it sound stale to people. Yep. Um, and I feel like as w- we've talked about on our on our bonus ode, this idea of being a multi-potentialite, you know, like we're constantly skipping around to lots of different things. So my hope is that people who are listening to me in different areas are not getting bored. Um, mm. And, you know, just out of the, the sheer number of projects I'm working on, you know, like there's lots of different things for them to potentially mm-hmm. engage in. Um, but I don't know. I mean, that's that's an interesting question to think about, like, how do you come at things fresh? And I guess, OK, so here's here's where I think we can kind of go with this in terms of um, thinking about another topic here, which is burnout, mm. because I mm-hmm. feel like there's more of a, a danger with creating all this content that you would burn out and and just like not even that you would lose ideas, but that you just wouldn't care anymore and that you would produce something that's like maybe not of good quality. I would say I'm more concerned about that than I am Mm -hmm. about like being repetitious. I would agree. I'm I'm in the same boat on that one. And and partly because I'm going through that a little bit with some some areas uh, in the work that I'm doing. There are just certain areas that I'm a little less excited about than I used to be. And Mm -hmm. so I have to figure out how to make that shift 
and make it genuinely, but also be aware that like, hey, I've built an audience over in this area. You know, are are they going to want to come with me on this journey? Or are they going to, you know, are they going to bail? And, and I have to kind of be okay either way with that. Because for me, like you said, Katie, the, the fear of burnout or the fear of just doing work that I don't care about anymore is is worse than the thought of having to shift into a new field and build a, a different audience. Frankly, I'm I'm way more fearful of kind of my own um, the own my own stuff that I'm getting out of the work I'm doing. Like I I get a lot of validation, but I also get a lot of joy out of the work that I do. And if that's missing, then I'm clearly missing the boat. So one thing I'm kind of curious about, because I think this might be also where we're a little bit different from each other, is, um, so I I can't remember if I've talked about it on this show. I know I've talked about it on other shows, but the four tendency model from Gretchen Rubin, where it's basically like, how are you held accountable for things? Mm. And it's whether or not you have kind of internal motivation or external motivation. And there's mm-hmm. one of the four tendencies, which I am called the upholder, which is you, you can do things based on other people's deadlines, but you can also set goals for yourself and mm-hmm. complete them. You know, like you're, you're pretty um, good at functioning in both of those areas. And one of the things that upholders are known for is basically being able to make themselves do things they don't really want to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, like for good or for bad, you know, like wh- however you want to take that. But but that is definitely true. I mean, I can motivate myself to get something done, even if I'm like really not interested in doing it, because I feel mm-hmm. like there's a larger purpose for it or whatever. And I wonder sometimes if this is why I'm good at the regular content creation, because it's mm-hmm. like, even if I don't feel like doing it on a certain day, if I have the deadline in front of me, it's like, no, you need to just buck up and do it. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of curious about your perspective on that. I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with the four tendencies framework, um, but this idea of like making yourself do things that you don't want to do, it sounds like you you may just like not want to do that. I mean, if you don't want to do it, you're just like, nope, I don't feel like it. Well, it's interesting because I think I've shifted a little bit recently. Um, so I definitely identify with, with that tendency uh, to want or to get be able to get things done, even if I don't want to do them, right? I have a lot of things in my life that are that way. Like anybody who does dishes on a regular basis knows that, you know, sometimes you just got to make yourself do the dishes. But um, so I would say I definitely have that, that skill. And I definitely used to be much more that way. But I think as I'm building my own business, and I'm thinking about what do I want my everyday to look like, I have to have a, a reason why I'm doing the hard stuff, right? So for I think about content generation, for example, and if I were going to decide to to do a really strict content generation piece, right, I, I would have to have not only some motivation to do the original content generation or writing or whatever, I, I have to be interested enough in the topic that I'm doing, but I also have to see the purpose, right? I have to see where is this going to get me? Why is this important for me to do for my business? And I have to be a excited about that direction. And that's, I think, the shift that I've made recently. Like there are lots of different things I could do for my business that would be good for my business. And yeah, sure, I could make myself do them. But if it's not getting me down the road to where I really want to be, then why am I doing them? Mm -hmm. So I think for me, it's much more that question of the direction that I'm headed and what do I want my life to look like in a year, two years, five years, 10 years, where do I want to be? What do I want my daily life to to feel like and to to encompass? And um, if I feel like the activities that I'm forcing myself to do now 
aren't helping me move down that road, then then they feel less worth it to me. Now, hmm. I can still make myself do them if I feel like I have to, if I have deadlines or that sort of thing. But it it's much better if it if I feel like I have a very clear idea of how it serves the greater purpose. That reminds me a little bit of Danilo Laporte's um, desire map strategy, which is basically like, how is it that you want to feel? And then you mm. design your day around that. And she has yeah. like a planner and all kinds of different things. So that's hmm. interesting. Yeah. For you, do you feel like because you can make yourself do the hard things, do you ever feel the, the sort of opposite of what I'm describing, where you kind of drift into something that maybe you're not that excited about because you're like, well, I'll do this thing because I can do it and it, you know, I should do this for whatever reason. And do you ever find yourself kind of looking back and being like, yeah, no, that I maybe don't need to spend that much time on this activity or, or maybe I need to shift and go a different direction. Do you ever yeah. have that happen? I mean, I definitely feel like I have to be very intentional about checking in with myself to be like, why am I actually doing this? Mm -hmm. um, and do I want to be doing this? And what is the larger purpose? Because I can get into like the hamster wheel of just like doing it um, right. and not questioning it. And and this is the same of like someone else giving me a project like at work. You know, I don't mm -hmm. necessarily question it. I'm just like, sure, I can do that. You know, like, mm -hmm. I mean, it's. And I think that a good example of that is when I started to look at my speaking and say, like, do I actually want to be speaking on these topics? You know, like, mm -hmm. or do I want to narrow these and, like, have another kind of, you know, signature area that I really am known for and focus on? Um, so I feel like I, I definitely have, I have to be careful that I'm not just, like, doing things for the sake of doing them. Um, mm -hmm. And the the good kind of helpful thing for me about that is my business partner, my life partner, he is very good at kind of questioning like why are we doing it that way um mm -hmm. and i and then i have to like actually give a rationale for why i've chosen something or you know like why i'm moving in a certain direction um but yeah i mean i think it's it's definitely the tendency is to sometimes do things on autopilot um and even like to the point where you know on an annual basis now because i have an annual sponsor i'm kind of checking in with myself to say like do i want to keep the podcast going mm. And, and just like making sure that I'm not just doing it because I do it every week, you know, mm -hmm. like, I mean, I can right. actually ask myself the question, like, and, and part of it too is, you know, like realizing you have choices and you don't have to be doing anything, you know, mm -hmm. like, especially when it comes to my small business, I could shut it all down tomorrow. I mean, it's not paying my mortgage, so I can do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. Um, as long as I'm not, you know, going back on a client contract or whatever, I, you know, I have a lot of flexibility in that way. So that's a good question. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think it's something I have to be careful about. Hmm. Well, I feel like this this podcast has gone in a d different direction than I <laughs> thought that it would at the beginning. I feel like we agreed on a lot more things than, uh, <laughs> than maybe we thought we would. I, well, maybe, any we did it, maybe we did it wrong, Sarah. Maybe okay. there's... <laughs> That's true. I mean, are there any other um, conflict inciting questions that we might <laughs> bring up here at the end? <laughs> well, I definitely want to make sure I touch on a couple of resources for people who are thinking about generating content and like being creative and what does it mean to do that? I mean, I guess, you know, one thing I want to end on is I do feel like creating content generates more content. You know, like I think sometimes people think if they create too much content, they will run out of ideas. And I have actually found the opposite. You know, like I have found the more things I create, the more things I want to create, the more things mm -hmm. I have in my brain, you know, that it's like a faucet, you know, like it, you just turn it on and it goes. So mm -hmm. I have a couple of resources for people who might, you know, if they need to like turn the faucet on and they're kind of trying to get things going. 
Um, one of them is a book by Tanner Christensen called The Creativity Challenge. And it's a bunch, it's like 150 different activities that you can do to just like do creative things. Um, so I'll just to give an example, one of them is called Create Something Terrible. And it's basically like pushing back against the idea of perfectionism. So you just, your challenge is to create something that's like purposefully bad. Um, so he says like write a horrible 20 page poem, take some truly bad photos and turn them into an album, make a bad painting with mis mismatched colors. Um, so it's, it's just a bunch of different ideas to kind of get your brain, um, going and, and flexing that creativity muscle. And then, um, the other one that I think is really an interesting idea is called become an idea machine. And this is by Claudia Altucher. And uh, again, it's like a bunch of different ideas. And the, the general idea of it is that you're creating 10 different ideas every day. And mm. so over a period of time, you just have all of these different ideas that you've created. And it's like different prompts, like 10 different apps that you would want to put on your phone or 10 different features you wish your car had that it doesn't currently have. Um, so it's just, again, just this idea of getting you into the process of brainstorming on a regular basis. And I think it would be pretty easy to come up with, you know, if you needed themed brainstorming topics related to your particular content, you could certainly use these as guides to um, generating those kind of prompt questions for yourself. So I'll, we'll link to both of these in the show notes if anybody wants to check them out. See, and it's really interesting because I knew we weren't going to get to the end of the podcast without me being like, yeah, no, I think about that totally differently because <laughs> hearing the the idea of like making 10 ideas, lists of 10 different things in these totally random topics completely stresses me out. Like, I just don't, I don't think that that would actually help my creativity. Interestingly, it would just make me feel like I have another thing to do. And why am I doing this thing? And what if my ideas are dumb? And what, what is this, this serving purpose? I don't, uh, yeah, that would be the, the thought spiral that I would get into with one of those kinds of things. But which I think, you know, if I reflect on that, like, why is that? I think one of the things that I struggle with with creativity, and I know a lot of other people do too, a lot of the other creatives that I talk to, um, deal with the sort of negative self-talk a little bit. Um, that voice in your head that's like, well, you don't have anything worth sharing anyway, or well, that's a dumb idea, or, you know, that's a stupid thing to talk about. Why would you talk about that? You don't know anything about that. You know, those kinds of voices in your head, which um, for some people are really, really real and salient. And so I, I do think it's worth mentioning um, here at the end of the podcast that sometimes you might go through periods where creativity is really hard, not just because it's a lot of work to do, but sometimes just because it's, it's hard <laughs> and it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. and it's hard to kind of push against those voices that are, that are overly negative and that do, um, sort of try to convince you that you're not good enough or that your ideas are dumb or, or those sorts of things. And so, um, you know, if the idea of making lists of things, uh, you know, triggers that voice for you, <laughs> maybe don't do that. <laughs> yeah, well, like, like for me, it would not be productive. <laughs> this is one of the best things about this show, I think, is that you and I come from such different perspectives. Um, and what works for me isn't going to work for other people, you know, like, and, and I also think one of the things, and this is kind of an interesting, you know, addition to this whole four tendency business from Gretchen Rubin, upholders are a relatively small part of the population according to mm -hmm. her you know like and they're the people who follow the rules and get things done mm -hmm. but there are constraints to being an upholder as well in that mm -hmm. you follow the rules like you're not always going outside of the <laughs> box in terms of your thinking you're just like oh this is i'm setting up a routine for myself and this is what i'm doing mm -hmm. um so i mean i think that there's 
you know, if anyone's listening to this and they're kind of thinking, you know, like, like you even said earlier, like, oh, I kind of envy that. Everybody's bringing their own strengths to the table, you know, and and I think that every time we come at this from different angles, I'm thankful for it because it reminds me that we're not all doing this in the same way. And that's a Mm -hmm. good thing. You know, like that means we're bringing good products to the market from different angles and and different services and things that we're offering. And I think that's the strength of being in an academic entrepreneur community is seeing all the different ways that people are doing this and making it work. Mm-hmm. I also want to say that I think your your identity as a creative can change and shift over time. So where we were talking earlier about um, about Gretchen's four different uh, categories or whatever, I forget what they're called, but, uh, but being enough yeah. tendencies, there we yeah. go. Um, so being an upholder, I, I completely can see that in myself, especially two to five years ago. Now, I'm less certain that that would be how I would categorize myself in my work. And so that even my understanding of myself and what I bring to the professional table has shifted. And Mm. that affects my creativity. And it affects how I get work done. It affects my processes, processes and my systems and, and everything. And so I think it's worth noting that that can happen too. And that's also okay. (laughs) You know, you can grow and change in in many and different ways, some of them good, some of them less ideal. And that's, that's just part of it as well. Well, and I also think that these are choices that we're making. Like you're reminding me of an essay I wrote like two years ago, and it was called What We Call Ourselves Matters. And mm. it was when I started calling myself a creative. Yeah. And I have my blog is called The Academic Creative. And this podcast is for academic creatives. Like I have, mm-hmm. I've kind of placed myself in this space where I identify like that. And I want to connect with other people who identify like that. And but it it was a it was an intentional step I took to call myself mm-hmm. that and to say, just because I'm not creating, you know, like very traditional art forms or, you know, like I, I started to kind of expand my definition of what mm-hmm. I felt like it was to be creative. And I definitely feel like I fall into that. So, yeah. I mean, part of it, too, is just making the choice of if you want to produce regular content and you're feeling like, you know, you're not creative, like even just what you call yourself can sometimes mm-hmm. make a difference in terms of mm-hmm. getting you the motivation and the identity um, and you brought this up with the writer piece too, you know, like if you want to call yourself something, call yourself that thing. I mean, like, mm-hmm. it's okay. There are no rules. In terms of, <laughs> there, there is no like identity police in some ways, like right. knocking on your door saying, you call yourself a writer. Are you really writing every day? Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to some degree, we're making those decisions for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think, um, you know, as we're making those decisions, and as as you're thinking about how to create and how to battle the, uh, you know, the negative voices, either from inside or outside, one of the biggest things that's been helpful for me when I've run into those cases, um, to sort of provide a suggestion for people here at the end is, um, is making sure that you're spending time doing things that you love with people that you love. Because for me, when I'm really in that negative thought spiral, I need to leave the house, I need to go somewhere and do something fun. And I need to spend time with my people who get me and who understand and accept me for whoever I need to be in that particular moment. Um, And I find that that doing those kinds of things really helps me um, talk back against that that negative voice that I can sometimes have in my head that's like, well, you don't have anything worth value to contribute here. Um, And so to have those kinds of experiences and and seek out those people in your life who really help you remember who you are um, for real and and uh, remind you that 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 has value um, and that you have value. So that would be my resource uh, is just, you know, seek out the people and things that you love and spend some time in that space too. 
Agreed. That's a good way to end it. Thanks for talking <laughs> with me about this, Sarah. Always, always yeah. learning from you. Always enjoying it. Agreed. And right back at you. All right. Well, we will be back next time to talk about some other great topics a little bit later in the season. We're going to be talking about all kinds of things like work environments and outsourcing and networking and conferences. So be sure to check out those episodes. And as always, you can sign up for our email list at academagig.com and make sure to uh, follow us over on Twitter as well. We're at academagig. All right. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Academic Gig podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and heard something useful that you can apply in your own business. Show notes with links to resources mentioned in the episode and a full transcript are available at academicgig.com. There, you can also sign up for our email list and receive over 100 great resources for recommended books, blog posts, and podcasts for the academic creative, freelancer, and entrepreneur that you won't want to miss. You can connect with us on Twitter at Academigig, or you can also find Sarah at Dr. Langworthy and Katie at Katie double underscore Linder. We'd love to hear from you and continue the conversation about this episode. There are several other ways to connect with the Academigig podcast. Visit the website to post a comment about a specific episode, suggest a future topic, or ask a question that could be featured on a future Q&A episode. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. It helps us out and helps others find the show. And as always, thanks for listening.